Goodness me. Sorry. Can't take her anywhere. Goodness me. Um, all right, friends, have your uh, Mark chapter 9, 8 open in front of you. That would be excellent. And thank you for Adrian and Michelle for reading those two passages. How about we pray and we uh, get into this God's word here. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for church. The, the joy it is to be together. And we, uh, we thank you for your word today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you're still in our hearts and minds that we'd respond in trust, uh, in trust in you. Amen. Uh, have your, uh, there's an there's a outline as well in your bulletin. You might want to get that open. We're going to have a Q&A &A at the end. Time for a, a word of encouragement, a, a, a comment or a question. Well, when we, um, when we open one of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, they are, of course, biographies of Jesus and so that means they're, 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 they're eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. We know the story. Like if you've been around churches for a while, if you've been a, a Christian, we, we, and even if you, you're not, you've got a general idea of how it sort of works out. You know about his birth, you know about miracles, you know about his teaching, a little bit about that, uh, a fight with the Pharisees. We're all, we've got a pretty good idea of what's coming up next and one thing's for sure is that we know the ending. When, uh, when I was uh, growing up, I read those Choose Your Own Adventure books. Remember those books? I don't know if you had those before, they were, they're sort of, are they still around, young people? Still around? They're great books, yeah. As a, for a control freak like me, they work really well. Um, I like to be in control of what happens. Uh, <laughs> But you could choose the plot lines, couldn't you? You could choose the plot lines, you could choose the adventures and the characters and, and what they'd get up to. You could even choose your own ending. That's pretty good. But, of course, you know, the disciples, well, the disciples didn't know the ending of this story that they were in. Sort of obvious, really, isn't it? The disciples didn't know the ending to Jesus' story and they certainly couldn't choose it. Although perhaps we'll see today that they would have been happy to make a few suggestions and so I reckon when we come to this key point in Mark's gospel, and that's what it is, it's a, a key turning point, well, we ought to sympathise with them just a little bit. Uh, they didn't know what we know. They dropped everything to follow Jesus, quite literally. Down came the nets and they followed Jesus uh, to become fishers of men. They'd heard Jesus teach with such authority They'd seen miracles and healings. They'd, they'd even seen a man who's, who's a man with leprosy. Uh, they'd seen him being healed and, and Jesus reached out and touched him. Whoa. They'd seen amazing things. They'd, they'd watched him raise this, this dead girl back to life again. They'd, healing a paralytic as these, his mates uh, 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 lowered him down from the ceiling. Casting out demons. they they were on the boat fearing for their lives when Jesus said, just with a word, quiet, be still, and the storm calmed. They ate with the 5,000 and were full. It's, it's hard for us, you see, to, knowing the identity of Jesus without knowing the ending. Um, it's hard to us to imagine knowing the, the identity of Jesus without knowing the ending, his death and resurrection. But of course, that, that was the predicament the disciples were in. Who is this man? they've been asking who is this man they would ask even the wind and the waves obeyed him who is this man they were following and left everything for see sometimes i suppose we're a little bit quick to judge the disciples why were they slow in getting it 
Well, perhaps simply because they didn't know the ending. Maybe that's it. Well, up until this day, uh, the disciples hadn't made up their minds about Jesus. Let me take you to, to chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, they asked him, who do, you, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. See, they're still making up their minds about Jesus, this man they were following. They were still asking questions like many others. Perhaps Jesus was uh, John the Baptist. He's back again, resurrected. Elijah, maybe. Uh, even one of the prophets. King Herod, we read over in Luke's Gospel, was still trying to make up his mind about who Jesus was and his identity. But today was a turning point for these disciples, wasn't it? Today the penny dropped. Today it clicked. Yes, they got it. Look at verse 29. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. God's long-awaited king. God's anointed one. That's who they were following. But what type of king would God's king be? What type of king were they following? See, the answer that most Jews of the day, like the disciples, expected God's Christ, his anointed king, to be was a political, military leader, king, much like the Israelite kings of the Old Testament, like the great David, who would defeat the Israel's enemies and kick out the Romans, restore Israel to its rightful place in the world, a, a worldly king. About a hundred years prior to this, in an, uh, an anonymous writer uh, writing in what's called the Psalms of Solomon, it's an ancient text about, dated about 100 BC, uh, this writer stated what the Jews were expecting from their Messiah. I've got it up on the screen. Behold, O Lord, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, and gird him with strength that he might shatter unrighteous rulers and that he may purge Jerusalem from the nations and trample her down to destruction. He shall have the heathen nations to serve him under his yoke. That's what they were looking forward to. That's the king they were longing for. And the mere mention of uh, the word Messiah among Jews would have, um, would have ignited a nationalistic bushfire Reminds me of those summers we used to have where the sun came out. Anyway. Um, but you see, although the 12 um, have taken a huge step in recognising Jesus as the Messiah, they must now unlearn every nationalistic hope that they've cherished about the coming one. It's why Jesus warned them in verse 30 not to tell anyone else because they still had a lot of unlearning to do about the true nature of God's king. And Jesus must yet show them that the new Israel, the church of what they were, the embryo, will also be quite different from all their expectations. And so, verse 31, Jesus says this, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, 
and teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. Here's the ending that the disciples didn't know. See, Jesus' kingship, God's real king, was not about political power, but service and sacrifice. This is God's king. Not not a man-made king, but God's servant king. As Isaiah 53 and 52 foretold, But Jesus was not a servant who suffers with his people. No, no, Jesus would be a servant who suffers for his people. We ought to imagine, just for a moment, you ought to imagine the the jaws dropping, right? Uh, The gasps of, did he say that? Their heads shaking, confusion too, and, 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 and shock. A rejected Christ, God's anointed king, rejected as virtually an oxymoron, right? You know, that is like a contradiction. That's what it is. And so, so Peter's reaction, he takes Jesus aside, grabs him by the arm, pulls him across. He has a go at him. He, he rebukes him. Peter is offended. <laughs> That's what Peter... Peter's offended. Wrongly, as we'll see. See, as a Jew, he was looking for a Messiah blood-stained in victory. Not a Messiah blood-stained in defeat. Verse 33, But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he says. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. A rejected Christ was not what the disciples expected, hoped for, looked forward to, But as Isaiah said of the coming Christ some 800 years prior, Jesus came to suffer and to serve. Jesus did not come to meet the disciples' expectations, nor the Jews, nor ours, nor anyone else's. Jesus came to do his Father's will, the concerns of God, which Peter didn't have in mind. He came to die for sinners, as Mark 10 tells us, He came to be a ransom for many. Effectively, Jesus says in verse 33, if you look at that again with me, the only Christ there is to confess is Christ crucified. That's the only Christ there is to confess. This is who you're following, Jesus says to his disciples. Well, if you're following God's king, Jesus goes on to say, you've got to make some decisions. Your expectations will be different. If you're going to be my disciple, this is what it's going to look like. So, verse 34. Following God's king. We're on point three in our outline. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Verse 34 is Jesus' own definition of what it looks like to follow him. Now, perhaps we could say these are the terms of discipleship. In one sense, they are three different ways of really saying the same thing. Following Jesus means identifying with Jesus. That's what it means. Identifying with his suffering. Identifying with his rejection. Identifying with his words. Friends, we live in a, in a culture that, uh, that asks the question, quite regularly actually, who do you identify with? It's a, it's a big question for the world we live in today. Who do you identify with? Uh, a culture that demands an answer that swims with 
the cultural current. And if the answer to who do you identify with is Jesus, then there's every chance that answer will not be popular. It will swim against the cultural current. But Jesus says to us today in Mark 8 that this has always been the case. This is nothing new. It's always been the case. Following Jesus, identifying with Jesus, has always meant being different. It's always meant standing out. It will mean, first, denying yourself. Denying yourself, rather or rejecting any thought of, of doing what would please ourselves rather than God. This is what it means to follow me, Jesus says. Deny yourself. It's denying our sinful nature, uh, which wars against our soul. We'll see how that sort of fits in in a moment. This is where following Jesus is so countercultural. Christians don't serve themselves. If you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, you don't serve yourself. We follow the example of Jesus who served us and he did that by dying for us. Even as sinners, he still died for us. We're, we're constantly told to get, to get what we want out of life, to, to pamper ourselves, to, to satisfy every craving, to live with no regrets. Self-preservation, it's living for me. Where life's ambition is to protect oneself, uh, we do it financially, we do it socially, physically, over and above all else is me. That's the culture we live in. It's nothing really new. It's been going on for a long, long time. Well, following Jesus will be swimming against that cultural tide. Take up your cross, Jesus says next. Suffering for the sake of Jesus. And this has got nothing to do with having a cross to bear, nothing like that. It's, it's hardship we face because of following Jesus. Jesus took up his cross, suffered and was rejected, was, was killed for sinners. The call of Jesus as we follow him is to expect the same type of rejection that our saviour experienced. Jesus calls the Christian person, and, and I guess it's the ultimate in self-denial, to suffer for the gospel. Don't miss that point. That's what he calls us to do. Suffer for the gospel. And as we uh, read, say, Romans 5 is a good example. There's other examples too. As we do suffer for the gospel, as we persevere in that suffering, well, actually, God, make, God gives us a promise. And he promises that as we persevere, that will produce godly character. As we persevere and, and not, be not ashamed of Jesus and, and, and take up our cross, we'll mature in our faith. We'll trust him more and more. We'll grow to be more like Jesus. Jesus lays it down very clearly. This is what it means to follow me. It's what it means. It, it'll mean to be like me, identifying with me. So who do you identify with? It's a fair question to ask, isn't it? Sacrifice, service, selfless humility, suffering for the gospel, identifying with Jesus. I want to give you an example. I read this during the week. This guy, um, uh, uh, Rick Perhai, I don't know if that's how to pronounce his name. Um, he's a professor, American guy, and director of advanced degrees at Kiev, Ukraine, Theological Seminary. He's also pastor of Lighthouse International Fellowship in, uh, in Kiev, Ukraine. He wrote this as um, 100, there he is with his wife, uh, as 150,000 Russian troops were amassing at the Ukrainian borders in very late January, so before the invasion, but they all knew what was happening. 
He says, what keeps my wife and me here in Ukraine? We're staying for the sake of the little band of believers in our church whom we love. We're walking together with them in good times and in bad. And what keeps, and what keeps me coming to the seminary? It's the Ukrainian students who hunger to study and put into practice Bible exposition and Christ-saturated biblical theology, even in these uncertain times. And he continues later, uh, we Americans, and I think we can put Australians here as well, we have little tolerance for insecurity. We can't imagine living with so much risk, yet in the absence of comfort, safety, or even basic health insurance and life insurance, Ukrainian believers rally together in the church and support one another in times of sickness, sorrow, and death. It truly is a beautiful family. Family. Interesting, isn't it? That line interesting too. We Americans, Australians, have little tolerance for insecurity. It's so true. We're very comfortable, aren't we? Yet, they keep meeting together, and this couple here, they stay in Ukraine. They're still there amongst the bombs, the, the, the bullets and so forth. The, the, the radical call of following Jesus will not simply mean making a decision about how we use our lives. It is giving our lives to Jesus. That's what Jesus calls for here in Mark, Mark 8. Uh, not saving and that's not self-preservation. In verse 35, Jesus says there's a trade-off in following him. Uh, give this life to Jesus and he will save it uh, he will save it in eternity. Listen to these words in verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I came across um, a story of dancers at the Australian Ballet School. Look, it's not the sort of thing I usually search up on Google, uh, to be totally honest, um, but I thought it was a pretty cool story. Uh, wouldn't be top of my, you know, my list. But Michelle, you should be proud. I hope you're proud. It's a story about dancing. But I was impressed. Let me tell you why. You see, well, what happens, this Australian ballet school, um, they, were, they were working towards the, the students, the dancers, were hoping for working towards a spot in the Australian ballet. So that's the bee's knees of Australian ballet. That's where you are hoped for. Um, and it's very, very hard to get into. I tell you what, their dedication is unsurpassed. Just amazing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, years of training, early mornings, broken toes and toenails. Amazing how many pictures of broken toes and toenails came with this sort of story about these Australian ballet dancers. Uh, it is gruesome. Google it if you like. Um, strict routines, all to reach the goal of a contract with the Australian ballet. But, of course, what it is, it's a trade-off. If you want to be that good, it's a trade-off. It, it means you won't have time to see all your friends. It means they'll have to go to bed early because they wake up so early. It means uh, they have to spend hours in the, in the dance studio practising, practising and practising. They have to be strict with their diets. If you want to be a dancer with the Australian Ballet, well, you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't have that life and anything else. You, well, you can't have it both ways. It's the same with following Jesus. There, there will be a trade-off. If you save this life for yourself, you will not have the next. Someone said to me uh, during the week, and it's, and it's uh, 
don't know what the right word is. It's, it struck me, but it's a bit more than that. They, they said this to me. They said, people don't move to the southern highlands to suffer for Jesus. It's, it's, uh, I was going to say haunted me. It's not quite the right word. People don't move to the southern highlands to suffer for Jesus. How do you respond to that, I wonder? It might, it might make you think, hey, do you think it's true? Um, is it true about you? Now, some of us have born and bred southern highlands, so you have to use your imagination, but you get the idea. See, there's a tragic consequence to the decision of self-preservation. Look at it with me in verse 36, or as Jesus puts it, gaining the whole world. The consequence is that you forfeit your very self, your soul. In fact, Jesus says this self-preservation, living for oneself, is the same as being ashamed of him and his words. Friends, um, secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. Get that going around for a minute in your head. Secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. This is at the heart of sinfulness, isn't it, I reckon? Live for myself rather than the one who created me and gave me life, like we're ashamed of our creator. Jesus says the consequences of such a decision would be, couldn't be more serious. Jesus says that <clears throat> Jesus then will be ashamed of such a person when he returns to judge. See verse 38? In his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. For a person who lives for themselves and gains everything the world has to offer, uh, all its power, prosperity and prestige, Jesus simply says, is it worth it? The answer is no, it's not. When the consequences are such as they are, they are eternal, is it worth it? It's the same point the Ecclesiastes writer makes. You know, uh, the last couple of days, we, we've lost two, two legends of Australian sport. Shocking, really. Um, particularly Shane Warne. Gone too soon, they, they say. It's true, really. 52. I turned 48 during the week. It made me think for a minute. <laughs> but I'm ready to meet my saviour. I'm ready to meet my creator. Um, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure where Shane Warne was. Was he, was he? I don't know if he was a follower of Jesus. I don't know. Um, I hope he was. Maybe at that time when his heart stopped or just before maybe he turned to Jesus I don't know but I can tell you one thing's for sure I don't think he was a, he was expecting to die that day I don't think he expected it a holiday with his mates in Thailand he didn't expect to die that day he didn't expect to meet his creator that day the truth is very few of us know when our time is up as Jesus said elsewhere, when our life will be demanded from you. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Well, friends, we know the ending, don't we? We know the ending, uh, not just the ending of Jesus' life here on earth in the gospel, his death and resurrection, 
But we know that our, our lives will end too. We know that. Hopefully later than sooner. Uh, <laughs> that our lives will be judged by God's King, Jesus. That will meet our maker. If you didn't know that, you know it now. <laughs> and Shane Warne knows it now too. But we know the good news that Jesus came to suffer for us so that we can be forgiven. That's why he came. Friends, do you know this Jesus? I hope so. I really do. Do you know this King? I hope so. Uh, come to him today, if you haven't already. Trust him. Well, this scene in uh, chapter, end of chapter 8, going to chapter 9, this scene at Caesarea Philippi uh, is the hinge around which Mark's gospel turns. Up to the point, up to the point Mark has shown, up to this point I should say, um, Mark has shown us Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God while at the same time focusing on his identity. So all these who is this man questions. So during the first half of this gospel we've heard the disciples asking who is this man. But from this point onwards, there's a bit of a shift. It's a turning point in the gospel. When Peter at last recognises Jesus as the Christ, Mark focuses on Jesus as the suffering Messiah, Son of God, who is followed by his messianic people. That's the disciples of Jesus. Who in, this, in the same way will suffer, but march through their suffering to glory. Uh, that's where we're heading in the next little while as we head up toward Easter, which is not too far away. Um, I just want to encourage you to, to read Mark's Gospel. We're not covering every single verse. You would have picked up on that by now. Um, and uh, so I'm giving you a bit of homework each week. Go back and read in the bits that we haven't covered. But read ahead. Um, I was going to say you could wait for a rainy day, but you won't be waiting long. Um, uh, read through Mark's Gospel. Uh, it took me... I'm, a, I'm not a fast reader either. Uh, it takes, took me about an hour and a quarter, you know. So read it through and then... I don't. Next week, read it through again. The more you get to know it, the better. Let me pray for us, and then we'll see if there's any times for questions or, or comments. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you that you love us. And most of all today, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. We thank you that he served us and sacrificed himself for us. So, Lord, we pray that we too can be people that deny ourselves, take up our cross, and we follow you, Lord Jesus. Amen.